We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. Six. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. I told you we were loaded for bear at the start of the show, and I meant it. Uh, my goodness, what a news day. Uh, ten minutes after 10 o'clock as we get rolling into hour number two on this Tuesday, seventh morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Thanks to Chris Farrell from Judicial Watch. Thanks to Congressman Jim Jordan. And now the highlight of our show each and every Tuesday, it's Peter Kersenow. Peter Cleveland, the attorney, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is an adjunct professor. Uh, he is also a... Um, a best-selling author of uh, of several novels, not the least of which is Target Omega, and it's uh, it's a sequel, uh, Second Strike. By the way, you've been talking to me since I want to say November, Pete, saying that in the spring the third uh, in the series was coming out. Right? Are we are we there? Not part of the series. It's the same genre, but it's a different series. It's called The Black Russian. I don't have a publication date for it yet. It's a different. Uh, it's it's in the same genre, but different characters and kind of a little bit. Um, uh, I think it's actually more interesting, uh, but we don't have a firm publication date for that. It could be imminent, and I'll let you know. The Black Russian, right? That's exactly right. And autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you read this, this guy's a pretty bad dude. But, um, hey, uh, 124 days to the first uh, Browns game and 134 to their Monday night home opener. So um, I'm no longer doing countdowns for the Indians until they make some moves because I'm getting a little yeah. concerned. Yeah, no kidding. You you and me both. And I'm sure Tito is just as concerned. Uh, probably a little bit more, actually. All right, uh, Peter, a lot, it's a slow news day, huh? Uh, we got so many different things we can talk about. <laughs> I, I want to start with where I was with um, 
uh, with uh, uh, Congressman Jordan there a few minutes ago, and, and I want to talk about the two jihadist uh, party representatives. And I'm sorry to put it that way, but honestly, when you are openly advocating in favor of the terrorist group Hamas, as opposed to a free sovereign nation, uh, Israel, that has a right to defend itself, when you're constantly calling the land uh, that Israel uh, is is where the, you know that, that is Israel uh, an occupied territory belonging to Palestinians and so on and so forth, you are not furthering the cause of peace. You are furthering the cause of war and attacks, and that is exactly what Rashida Tlaib, the freshman from Michigan, and Ilan Omar, freshman from Minnesota, are doing. They are, are openly arguing on Twitter and in interviews in favor of Hamas and condemning Israel for the violence that is going on as rockets are fired into Israel from Gaza. Uh, Pete, what's your take? Well, remember that a few weeks ago, they were, actually it was more than a few weeks ago, it was a couple of months ago, uh, Omar and Tlaib came under fire, specifically Omar, for claiming that certain people had dual allegiances because somehow they supported Israel, which is our ally. Mm-hmm. Um, what's peculiar about that and what uh, shows that she is so disconnected from reality is that, first, um, what she doesn't get is that Israel is our staunchest ally in the Middle East, has been for a long time. But what's peculiar is that today, in the last couple of days, she's out there promoting um, Hamas, essentially. And she is taking the side of the terrorist rocket attacks or attackers. Mm -hmm. And no one has claimed that she has a dual allegiance or anything of that nature, but it's precisely that kind of blindness that makes Omar such a problem. She sits on the Foreign Relations Committee. Somebody who sits on the Foreign Relations Committee should at least, I'm not saying you have to have, um, you know, unadulterated support for each and every one of our allies, but she is hostile to Israel. She sits on the Foreign Relations Committee. On top of that, sitting on the Foreign Relations Committee, she's been blaming the United States for what's going on in Venezuela. Venezuela, that had been the richest country in South America, bare minimum South America, the richest country, greatest proven oil reserves in the world, uh, had been doing extraordinarily well until such time as Hugo Chavez showed up and everything went into the tank. But she blames the United States of America for that. She completely wipes away or erases the successes of Venezuela, how it had a booming economy, tremendous resources, including agricultural resources in addition to oil, and then doesn't make the connection that everything started going south when the socialists arrived on the scene. This person is a menace, along with Talib and, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They rank among, and it's a, a difficult race, but they rank among the most ignorant, historically ignorant, and in terms of current affairs, the most ignorant Congress people. And that's saying something, as your audience uh, clearly knows. But I think what grates a lot of people about Omar and Talib and uh, AOC, but especially Omar, is this overriding sense of ingratitude that you get from her. Now, I'm not saying she should, you know, kneel down every day and kiss the, the ground, although a lot of Americans do just that. But this is a person you would think would have, um, I think, a little bit more gratitude for the fact that she lives in the United States of America, as most Americans do. Yet she has a, an additional reason to express gratitude instead of attacking the country that has invited her in, protected her against, you know, frankly, uh, the depredations of the folks there in Somalia who would have, who knows what they would have done. And she lives a great life now, but nope. 
she bites the hand that feeds it, uh, that, that, that feeds her. It's truly an extraordinary thing. I think the sense of ingratitude you get from a lot of left-leaning politicians may be one of the most appalling features that they possess. But anyway, that's a long-winded explanation to say that she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's supporting, she, she, she supports or blames Israel for what's going on right now, claiming that Israel is occupying Gaza. She hasn't been checking current events. Israel hasn't been in Gaza for at least almost 15 years now. In fact, Israel, remember about 15 years ago when Israel left Gaza, that the government there, and it caused you know, quite a stir, to achieve peace, evicted thousands of Israeli Jews from Gaza. Mm-hmm. hoping that somehow that might bridge a divide between the Palestinians and Israelis. And what they got in return, of course, were more rocket attacks. This is truly extraordinary, and it's frankly unforgivable, but the Democrats forgive her. Remember, the Democrats would not issue a resolution condemning her anti-Semitism. Instead, they watered it down. I proposed a similar resolution, not in Congress, but at the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, and you would think at least at the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, which is specifically dedicated, obviously, to civil rights as opposed to Congress, we could pass such a resolution, but nope. Uh, The progressives on the commission watered it down, removed her name completely from the resolution condemning her, and Talib also, and instead inserted Steve King's name and blamed it all on white supremacy. I mean, it was Orwellian. It was just bewildering, put it that way. So uh, the Democrats have got an issue here. Are they supporting Hamas? That's what's the cause of the rocket attacks. Israel's trying to defend itself. A nation who is our ally doesn't have the right to defend itself. Democrats have something to answer for. There's a rising tide of anti-Semitism uh, in the, anti-democrat, in the uh, Democratic Party that is not being forestalled by leadership. Well, you saw what they did, right? When they wanted to pass a resolution condemning anti-Semitism, they said, and anti-everything, anti-Semitism, anti-Islamophobia, anti-anti, you know, and, and it's just a way of essentially, you know, uh, uh, not actually apologizing for the anti-Semitism and not professing to stop it in the future. It's just saying we're against everything that's bad. And by the way, when they talk about the occupation of Palestinian land, I, I, I kind of get the feeling that, you know, she, uh, talking about Omar and even Tlaib, they're not just talking about Gaza, as you pointed out. Um, uh, Israel essentially abandoned Gaza and moved all Jews uh, from their settlements out of, uh, all Israelis, I should say, out of uh, Gaza back in, what, 2005. When they talk about, I think they're just talking about about Israel proper, they, the actual yep. land that is Israel, not just Gaza, but they don't believe Israel has a right to exist, and that they think Israel is Palestine, and that is uh, that is what their you know their their reason is for never settling. That's why they'll never settle for a two state solution. They want Israel gone. That, that you you nailed it, Bob. I think you're completely right about that. And you know the the fact is that those that are supporting the effort to delegitimize Israel, and in fact, as you say, pretty much erase it from the earth. They, they are not being honest about their true intent. I think that's what grates on many of us, that they keep talking about wanting peace. Well, Israel never starts anything. 
They are constantly defending themselves against rocket attacks, and when they do so, they do what you know the United States does, operate with just excruciating precision in trying to make sure that there is not collateral damage, that innocents aren't hurt, and it's a difficult thing to do when your enemy purposely embeds themselves among innocents, launches rocket attacks uh, uh, intentionally from schools and hospitals and other places so that Israel has no choice but to hit these locations. Because even then, Israel goes to great lengths to minimize any damage. But at some point, I think the Talibs and the Omars and the AOCs of the world should crack open a history book it doesn't have to be ancient history. Just take a look at what happened from 1948 to the present. Educate selves. Understand what happened in 1960. Well, in every war, in right. every single war that's occurred in the Middle East. I don't think it's going to change their minds, but at least they'll be able to speak with a bit more intelligence if they were not unadulterated, biased against Israel. Very well said, Peter Kersenow. We'll use that as our time out here. And on the other side, Pete, I want to ask you to try to characterize and frame for us the wonderful Obama economy that we're enjoying, enjoying right now, <laughs> according to virtually every Democrat candidate for president. We'll talk about that next on AM 1420 The Answer. Bob France, here on AM 1420 The Answer. All right, 1025, the Bob France Authority, continuing on AM 1420, The Answer with Peter Kirsten. Now i got five good minutes to, uh, left to hear Peter rant and rave, not rant, just rave, I suppose, about the wonderful Barack Obama economy. 3.2% GDP growth in quarter one, 3.2% wage increase over last year. Median wages are, are skyrocketing. Uh, the lowest unemployment rate in uh, 49 years since 1969. 263,000 jobs added in April. Pete, Barack Obama's doing a great job here. If you listen to the Democrat candidates for president, that's what they want us to believe. Yeah, up is down, black is white with them. The fact is that, you know, Barack Obama said that the tens of thousands of manufacturing jobs we've seen spring up or be repatriated from overseas were not coming back. Remember that? He says those jobs aren't coming back. He's, he berated or chastised candidate Obama, or I'm sorry, candidate Trump for saying that, you know, what does he have, some kind of a magic wand when he says he's going to bring these jobs back and improve the economy? And all of Obama's advisors kept telling us, and Democrats generally kept telling us that, you know what, the days of 3% GDP were over. It was never going to happen again. That stuff is all over with, and in fact, Obama never got 3% GDP. So if they had intended for all these good things that we're currently witnessing under Trump to happen, why did they say just the opposite when he was president? I guess it only took him eight years to get the economy rolling again. This was all his doing. He was very, very foresighted about this. This is the biggest joke around. I don't think that they're fooling anybody. And all the stats that you just cited, there are a million others in addition to that, but all the stats you just cited show that arguably we've got the best economy of our lifetimes. And during the Obama era, what did we have? The most stagnant economy we've had. In fact, the worst recovery we've had in more than 80 years, frankly. This is just a big joke. But I think my biggest beef is with those who are supposed to impartially, and we know this is a big joke, impartially transmit the news and the facts. 
and they are completely off, uh, you know, the, uh, off the charts in terms of not giving credit where credit is due and crediting the wrong person. One good thing about this is I'm not sure to what extent, with the exception of extremely rabid partisans, and I include the media in that, that anyone's buying all of this. And one of the reasons for that is because, as you've seen, Bob, right now, Trump's approval rating is higher than Obama's was at a similar point in their presidencies. And that's especially remarkable because everybody out here knows, I mean, if you've got eyes, we've seen how the media was nearly merely uh, sycophants for Obama. They were doing his press relations for him. He could do absolutely no wrong. He was the light worker, as people said. And Trump has been subjected to more media abuse than any president in history, period. Well, possible exception of Abraham Lincoln, but there wasn't as much media back then. Uh, this is uh, truly extraordinary what's going on. And um, Obama had absolutely nothing to do with it other than to make sure that any kind of progress in the economy was retarded for as long as possible until Trump successfully and massively rescinded ridiculous job-killing regulations right. that proliferated under Obama. And also the tax cuts, uh, the, uh, and, and beyond all of that, frankly, much of it does have uh, to do with attitude, projecting the fact that, you know, he's going to protect the American workers by negotiating great trade agreements. Those are signals that entrepreneurs and large businesses look to when they're trying to determine whether or not they're going to start businesses, increase investments, so on and so forth. All the signals that come from the Obama administration was, we hate business. Remember when he said, uh, you know, you didn't build that. You didn't Somebody build that, that's that right. Happen. The government you, you did know? that for you. Uh, they derided entrepreneurs, they derided business in general, they derided the American worker, frankly, that we didn't want to do certain types of jobs. You know, we wouldn't do these kinds of things. So they took a very negative attitude, and they got a very negative economy. And now they're trying to take advantage of, of uh, the phenomenal economy and say, oh, yeah, that was, uh, we had this all pegged out a long time ago, despite the fact that we said those jobs were never coming back, and you needed a magic wand to get something like that to happen, you know, and GDP was never going to grow above 2% anymore. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Uh, MSNBC and others are going to continue to carry the water for them. Well, you know what? You know what flies right in the face of all, even even all of their messaging? You know, uh, Donna Brazile, uh, the former uh, Democratic National Committee chair. She actually, I, I just had this sent to me. Uh, February 13, 2016 email has been uncovered uh, that appeared on WikiLeaks. Um, then Vice Chair Brazil wrote, I think people are in more despair about how things are going. Yes, there are new jobs, but these are all low-wage jobs. Housing is a huge issue. Most people pay half of what they make in rent. She, because that's something that I said for the entirety of the Obama administration as, as things played out. Yes, we are recovering from the recession that ended right as he took office. Yes, they did have a lot of job growth during the Obama eight years, but they were all part-time jobs or they were service sector jobs that paid very low wages. They were not the manufacturing jobs, as you pointed out, because he wrote those off as being gone forever. They were very low-paying jobs and all the Democrats poo-pooed that. Well, here's the, you know, now that we see what actual higher wage jobs, we have the highest average wage growth or median wage uh, wage rather in uh, american history at twenty seven dollars and seventy seven cents an hour this is what it looks like when you bring real jobs back and stop creating manufacturing not manufacturing jobs but i should say uh um um making jobs appear i'm trying to avoid the word manufacturing because i don't want it to sound like the actual industrial manufacturing but when you are fabricating jobs essentially pulling them out of thin air pete um uh just to uh you know to to you know to to build to use as a stimulus if you will that's what 
Obama tried to do as well. Those jobs are never long-term, those jobs are never full-time, and they are never high-paying. And the presidential candidates on the Democratic side, they've got a very tough messaging issue because we do have the best economy of our lifetimes. And what are they going to do to try to sell themselves? Oh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to come up with a system to get us even below 3.6. Remember, uh, 4% unemployment is generally virtually considered to be full unemployment. It's very, very difficult to get much below that. What are the Democrats going to say? What do they have to offer? Oh, yeah, we're going to go back to the Obama economy? Yep. No thanks. We don't want to have that. Hey, Bob, before we leave, I just want yes. to make a quick shout-out to the Lyceum. I had the privilege of being keynote speaker at their annual gala, and it is an amazing, amazing place. They've got tremendous students there, tremendous uh, teachers. Their curriculum is – I've never seen a curriculum like this at 6th grade to, through 12th grade level. And their headmaster, Luke Masick, is – the guy is some kind of a, an alchemist. He can turn – I mean, this is an extraordinary institution. I, I, I just want to thank them for the opportunity to weigh in. Happy to give you the chance to do that. I'm really, really, really proud of that school and happy for what they're fighting for, too, in their continuing battle with the city of South Euclid uh, with the assistance of ADF. Peter Kirsten, I'll thank you, my friend. God bless. We'll talk soon. Take care, Bob. You got it. Congressman Bill Johnson next on AM 1420, The Answer. This will f- Ten thirty-seven. We roll onward. AM fourteen twenty. The answer. I told you it was a busy day today. Just a, a powerhouse list of guests. Really, really fantastic speakers. Chris Farrell from Judicial Watch joined us in the first hour of the program. Congressman Jim Jordan made his regular weekly appearance. Peter Kersenow with his brilliance. And now uh, continuing the tradition, or at least today's trend, of great speakers uh, and uh, really, really wonderful guests uh, of this program and a friend of the program I consider him to be. Congressman Bill Johnson joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Congressman, good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning, Bob. And how are you? I'm fantastic. Good to talk to you again. It's been far too long between visits here. We're going to have to rectify that. You agree? Well, we we need to fix that for sure. Yes, sir. Yes, we do. Hey, I want to talk to you about a few things going on uh, on Capitol Hill right now, but I want to lead with the most important thing as far as I'm concerned. Your bill that you originally sponsored, it's been a few years now, and I'll let you kind of take us through the timeline here, to uh, work with uh, Pastor Chris Long and the good folks at the Ohio Christian Alliance to add the D-Day prayer, FDR's wonderful prayer uh, that he read to the nation uh, uh, as uh, our troops uh, and uh, those of our allies stormed the beaches of France in order to try to liberate Europe and stop the Nazi advance. Uh, adding that to the World War II Memorial. This has been a labor of love for a lot of people, again, not the least of which is you, because you sponsored that. What can you tell us? A big big event, for those who don't know and didn't hear me yesterday with Bill Federer, coming up on Friday, the Spring Freedom Banquet of the Ohio Christian Alliance is going to be a fundraising kickoff, if you will, to raise the private donations necessary to add that prayer to the memorial. Congressman, what can you tell us? Well, I, I can tell you that I'm I'm very honored to have been uh, just a small part of this. Uh, you know, Senator Portman carried that legislation in the Senate. Uh, I carried the water for it in the House. We worked with Chris Long and the Ohio Christian Alliance. I had a World War II veteran uh, from my district that testified uh, in the House uh, when we were going through the uh, uh, the markups for that legislation. And I was extremely honored when President Obama signed it into law. Uh, that prayer 
that uh, President Roosevelt prayed on that day uh, is, is a is a benchmark. I mean, it underlies, uh, underscores uh, the the foundations of of belief in religious freedom and and our dependence upon the Creator that uh, that put our country into place in the in, in the first place. And uh, and so I am extremely honored to be a part of it. I look forward to this Friday, uh, and I'll be speaking. Uh, I'll be keynoting that event. We'll talk a little bit about this and some other things uh, on Friday night uh, uh, that that we really need to be reminded of uh, because I think God's doing some great things in our country, and uh, and more is on the way. We just need to be ready for it. That's very well said. And for those who haven't done the math, by the way, 2019 is the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landings, which is what makes this the perfect and most appropriate time to raise the funds necessary. And I feel it's important that we mention this, Congressman, that, you know, while the, uh, uh, the bill that you sponsored and eventually was passed and was signed into law by President Obama, as you pointed out, allowed for the D-Day prayer to be added to the memorial. It does not fund it. It is, has got to be privately funded, and I can't remember the dollar figure that Chris Long quoted me about what it's going to take, but I do know that our goal here with the OCA, the Ohio Christian Alliance here, and what we're trying to lift off on Friday for is to raise, I think it was a half a million dollars, a $500,000 goal of private donorships to cover the cost of adding that prayer. So we need people to you know, not only appreciate this, but to step up and actually help fund it. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and that's the way many of the memorials around our nation's capital are. Uh, yes, they sit in the capital. Yes, they are uh, uh, regulated and controlled by uh, the Park Service. Uh, but, but much of the memorial work that has been done here in the nation's capital has been with, uh, with private donations. And as it should be, uh, because it speaks to the heart of the American people. So I'm, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, we need to make sure that this funding takes place because this will expire. Uh, there, there's a window in which right. we have to get the funding or the law will expire. So we need to act now. And, and one final thing, Bob, I was extremely honored when I was selected to, uh, to go to Normandy uh, the first week in June to commemorate the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landing. I, uh, I have never participated in a ceremony there, but I am, uh, I am so much looking forward to doing that, both as a, as a 27-year veteran of the Air Force myself and uh, a strong belief that that, uh, belief that that greatest generation of World War II uh, uh, driving tyranny out of Europe uh, set the stage for uh, for America being the nation that we are today. Congressman Bill Johnson is my guest. I envy you, sir, more than you know. Uh, I, uh, that is a bucket list thing for me to visit and to, to experience um, uh, that sacred ground uh, and, and where so much blood was shed, so many lives were lost, but, of course, liberty uh, defeated ty- tyranny as a result of that. And, uh, and thank you for your 27 years of service, by the way. Uh, that's, well, you're uh, welcome. You're welcome. Is, I'm honored. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a million bucks for a single day of it. 
Congressman, let's, uh, and by the way, I want to remind everybody again, as far as the funding goes, if you can be at the event on, uh, on Friday, uh, that's great. You can certainly, uh, you can certainly buy a ticket or buy a table and be a part of that event. I'm not sure if it's totally sold out yet. I know it's got to be close if it isn't, but you can also donate just online. If you even can't make it to the Akron Fairlawn, Fairlawn Hilton on Friday night for this Spring Freedom Banquet, at which uh, Congressman Johnson will keynote speak. You can donate just by going to ohioca.org, ohioca.org. There's a donate button right underneath the D-Day Prayer Project uh, uh, information there uh, about the banquet. So please, if you uh, have an opportunity, if you can donate $5 toward the cause, if you could donate $500 toward the cause, we can all do a little bit differently than everybody else. Please do what you can. Uh, it's a very, very important thing, I know, to our veterans. Um, Congressman, let's pivot. Just a couple of things since I got you on the line. I was just talking to two different guests, uh, your colleague, Congressman Jordan, as well as uh, uh, my friend Peter Kersenow, about the roaring economy uh, that we are enjoying right now, thanks to, 100% thanks to, your party's um, yes votes on tax reform. You, not right. one single Democrat, and I hate to be partisan about this, but this is where we are. Not one single Democrat voted to give Americans a tax break to let them keep more of their money, to let their employers keep more of their money so that they can build and expand their operations and hire more Americans. It's all bearing fruit right now with uh, the, the lowest unemployment rate in 49 years, highest wages, higher wage, 3.2% higher than a year ago, uh, highest average wage of $27.77 per hour in American history. It's all coming to fruition now, and it's all because of the work that you and your party have done, Congressman. Well, I, I tell you, I'm glad you brought that up, Bob, you know, because what a dichotomy we're seeing play out uh, uh, on the national scene these days. Um, Republicans stand for less government and lower taxes. Democrats stand for democratic socialism, bigger government, and taking more from the American people. Uh, Republicans stand for securing the border uh, and protecting the safety, security, and welfare of the American people. Uh, our liberal Democrats do not. Uh, we stand for developing our energy resources uh, and, and uh, continuing to make America the number one economy uh, on the face of the earth. Uh, our Democrat colleagues do not. So there is such a, a philosophical, ideological chasm between uh, the, the foundational, fundamental beliefs of, of Republicans in Congress uh, in the belief that the strength of our nation does not come from big government uh, or our institutions of government. It comes from the indomitable spirit, the heartbeat of the American people. And that's why you're seeing the results we're seeing today today. President Donald Trump has tapped into that, and, uh, and, and I believe the American people are responding uh, very, very favorably to what is happening. Congressman, I'm going to ask you a question that might sound like uh, an insult of sorts, but I can assure you it's not. I'm going to ask you, are you bored right now in Congress? And the reason I <laughs> ask that, to clarify, there isn't a whole lot of legislating going on because your colleagues who are in charge as the majority party of all of the committees are are 
are 100% consumed and obsessed with investigation rather than legislation. They're trying they to take are. down Donald and, but, Trump. They're trying to take down Attorney General Barr. They're trying to promote impeachment. And I just wonder, what does a congressman like yourself do when, you know, we're not, we're not able to talk about legislating for the American people because we're worried about all of this, uh, this nonsense that they're chasing? No, but I guarantee you we're going to continue to talk about what makes America great again and, and those concepts of, of uh, uh, pro-economic growth policies, uh, less government, less regulation, lower taxes. We're going to continue to talk about those things. But who would have ever thought, uh, Bob, that four years ago, who would have ever thought that we would be referring to Nancy Pelosi as a common-sense conservative voice in the Democrat Party? Um, she is trying to get her colleagues get, to get off of this impeachment investigation train, uh, but they just will not let it go. They haven't been able to accept the results of the 2016 election. They tried uh, through corruption and, uh, uh, and, and uh, 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 using uh, resources in the Justice Department and the FBI uh, to spy on the Trump campaign. Uh, they tried everything they could to derail this president. They were unsuccessful. And now that uh, they've been denied that victory, they can't accept that either. And they just continue to press that issue forward rather than focusing on the issues that are important to the American people. I think what it's going to come down to is this. Uh, 2020, is uh, uh, the 2020 election is coming very, very soon. About I think the months? American people are going to speak loudly again, Bob, when that happens. I'll tell you what, I certainly hope so. I'll play something for you before you go, Congressman, that I played for my audience at the beginning. I found this very interesting. Um, Walter Mondale, uh, shortly before the shellacking that he took, the worst landslide uh, loss, I think, for any candidate in American history to President Reagan in 1984, right before that election, he declared the following. Mr. Reagan will raise taxes, and so will I. He won't tell you. I just did. Walter Mondale promised to raise taxes and then, uh, like I said, suffered the worst defeat maybe in, in presidential uh, election history. Just yesterday, Democratic frontrunner Joe Biden said this. You know, people say, well, Joe, how are you going to do all this? Well, guess what? First thing I do is going to repeal this Trump tax cut. Oh, not a joke. What do you think, Congressman? History repeating <laughs> itself here? It, it, it's comedy at its best, you know, and the national media has turned into uh, political uh, comedic dramedy, uh, drama. Uh, it, is, it is unbelievable. And I, I, uh, I, I, think, uh, I think former Vice President Biden would be wise to go back and, uh, and, and take some lessons from Walter Mondale before he goes too much further. But uh, you can't make this stuff up, Bob. They, they want to take more from the American people. Uh, that this uh, socialistic Democrat uh, agenda is just mind-boggling. And um, uh, they're running hard on it, and I think the American people are going to uh, soundly reject it next year. I can tell you we're going to be doing everything we can to make sure the American people understand what socialism really means. Because, you know, under Medicare for All, for example, you're talking about 158 million Americans losing their employer 
provided health insurance. That's a big, big number, Bob. That is a terrifying thought, and people are losing their private insurance. However it is that they have it, they're going to be forced to, uh, under a Medicare for All plan, to, to use the government insurance. And we all, we know, we have seen countless numbers of examples of that, about how devastating that can be for a population. Uh, but yeah. yeah, that's that's the fight we have to have, and I'm glad you're going to continue edu- educating people about it before 2020, and we're going to continue doing the same thing here. Again, Congressman Johnson, it was too far far uh, uh, between uh, visits, uh, too long between visits. We'd like to have you back again much sooner next time. I'll Quick, okay. I'd love to come back, and I understand I'm going to be seeing you on Friday. You will indeed. You will indeed. I'll be stepping out of the way and giving an introduction to you and stepping out of the way. I'll be emceeing the event that you're keynote speaking at, so I'm looking forward to seeing you there. I hope to see you then. Thanks, Bob. Thank you so much, Congressman. That's Congressman Bill Johnson on AM 1420 The Answer. We're back after this. meaning it is the final segment of the broadcast. Wow, did I tell you we were loaded for bear with great guests? We were, and they all hit, I think, uh, up and down the lineup today. Home runs all around. Great conversations. I do have one caller on the line who I didn't think we'd get anybody to call today because we were so heavy with guests, but Phil has been hanging out and waiting his turn, Uh, so we're going to put him on before the end of the show here in Lakewood. Phil, you're on the air. Good morning. Go right ahead. Good morning, Bobby. (laughs) Oh, you're going to play that game with me. See what Jordan started? <laughs> I hit him right back with Jimmy, though. You saw oh, that, right? <laughs> you got to check out. That's what I love about yourself. You know, it's a little, you know, something to kind of, you know, kind of, uh, you know, break free of the, the constant, you know, uh, you know, seriousness of, and it's all seriousness, but, uh, you know, the seriousness of what's happening in our, in our politics today. Mm-hmm. But, Bob. You know what I'd love to see, and I think this would be paramount. I think it would be open. It would open up the floodgates. And it would stop the spin from the media, the Democrat, dummy, dummy, dummy crap media. If you could have Mueller and Barr in with Congress when they're doing the questioning on the Mueller report, I think that would be paramount. I mean, you know, because you can't the media won't disallow them of doing any spin you know what right. i mean yeah i do but know what you mean that that'll never it. happen that that'll no, never no. happen um i do see your point but it'll never happen and and the reason why is because muller doesn't want that muller muller you know and, and to be quite honest with you muller shouldn't have to do that uh, anyway he wrote his report how he wrote his report and in his report summarized by the attorney general and i know you get this i'm not speaking to you about yeah. this phil speaking in general and thank you for the call to wrap up the show but but he wrote the report the way he did and 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 uh, Bill Barr essentially said, look, it's not my job to rewrite everything that he said. It's not my job to present all of the underlying documents. My job is to give you his verdict. And and I think I think Barr did a great job of comparison, comparing this to a trial. All right? If a jury comes back with a verdict and a prosecutor goes before the media, he's going to say the jury found uh, you know, the, the, the defendant innocent or guilty or not guilty or guilty. He's not going to rehash all of the testimony. He's not going to rehash all of the evidence that was offered. He's just going to say they found him guilty. They found him not guilty. That's Bill, uh, that was Bill Barr's job. And, and guess what? The verdict in the, in the, in the Mueller report was no collusion and no proof of obstruction. That's it. End of story. Let's go home now. Let's go home. Let's move on with the business of the United States. So I, it'll never happen. Bob Mueller doesn't want to do that. Bill Barr doesn't want to do that. 
I think Bill Barr shouldn't have to do that. Once Mueller testifies before the, the, the House uh, Judiciary Committee, it should be over. I mean, honestly, that should be the extent of it. Bill Barr shouldn't have to say another word as far as I'm concerned. All right, that's it. It's all the time we've got. Thanks to all those wonderful guests. Thanks to the staff, and thanks to you for listening and being a part. We'll see you tomorrow morning on the Bob France Authority. Enjoy the silence.